Welcome to the Industries in Motion podcast from RBC Capital Markets, where we will be exploring what's new and what's next in today's fast-moving markets and industries to help you stay ahead of the curve. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclosures. I'm Michael Hall, Head of European Research here at RBC Capital Markets, and today I'm joined by Benjamin Toms. Benjamin's been with us since 2015 and is responsible for coverage of the UK banks, but also the large cap Spanish banks. Uh, he previous experience at Barclays, where he worked in their internal financial planning team reporting up towards the group, uh, and also at Deloitte, where he qualified as an accountant. So, Benjamin, thanks for your time today. Really keen to catch up on a couple of your piece, recent pieces. Uh, we've portrayed, I think, a, a far more cautious view on the macro environment and the risks to the banking sector than consensus. Not negative, but just more cautious. Um, so I'd like to delve straight in and start talking around that, but also start off with a question, what's the number one question investors are asking you when looking at the UK banks right now? Hi, Mike, and thank you for having me. Um, I think the, the question that investors are asking themselves most at the moment is there's two competing interests. Um, they're kind of jutting against each other. So firstly, we've got the fact that rates are going up and that's generally considered to be good for banks. But on the other side of that, we've got a consumer that's squeezed by higher energy prices, food and potentially higher mortgage rates, which has implications for asset quality. Also, you have to consider that uh, in terms of bank valuations, and we tend to think about bank valuations in price to tangible book terms, on a one-year four basis, banks are trading at 0.6 times tangible book value. And that's a 30% discount historical average levels. So at first glance, this sector looks cheap, but there are lots of things here to, that are competing against this to think about. Okay, interesting. Um, you talked about weakening environment, particularly with consumer. Despite the valuation, what do you think the biggest risks or how do banks tend to perform if we have a consumer-led recessionary outlook? I think it's probably worth just setting out what we put in as our assumptions for UK banks. So we have a, um, we model a recessionary environment in the UK at the beginning of 2023, a shallow recession, not a deep recession, and a slowdown, but not a big price correction in the housing market. We generally expect banks to underperform in recessionary environments, but starting with valuations are quite low at the moment, so we have to consider that as well. <clears throat> We actually think, though, the banks will still underperform. If we go back and look at historical periods when rates are going up and PMI is coming down, more often than not, banks underperform in those situations. And actually, valuations go as low as 0.4 times tangible book value, and earnings fall by about 50%. So those kind of valuations would be below where we are currently. And actually, because consensus hasn't moved up year to date in terms of earnings expectations 2023, it would also be a headwind to earnings. Okay, interesting. So let's break that down into specifics and and the risks. What what are the PL lines where you where you think the banks will be most impacted by a slowdown? Well, we've already downgraded our impairment numbers for twenty twenty three, where we thought consensus just looked too low at twenty four basis points for the sector. Um, we've moved our numbers to more like 36 basis points, which actually still is relatively low if you consider the historic average in a recession of 60 to 90 basis points. But there are another other factors to take into account. Okay, explore those. What are the caveats, other factors? What do we need to consider? Well, there's, no, no, there's a number of things here to really think about. So firstly, you've got unemployment. That's currently very low. And actually, that's the, normally the biggest single, single driver of cost of risk. 
Secondly, although rates have increased meaningfully on a year-to-day basis, they're still actually very low in a historical context. Thirdly, banks still are holding a large amount of COVID-19 overlays. They're worth about 15% of impairments for UK banks at the moment. Fourthly, credit card levels are still well below where they were before coming into COVID-19, so the mix of the balance sheet for banks is slightly better. Uh, Fifthly, LTVs for mortgages back book are about 50%. That's well below where they were when we went into the last financial crisis. And lastly, if you think about the more affluent consumer in the UK, they've been building up a nest egg of deposits through COVID-19. That'll act to some kind of buffer as well. Okay, interesting. Um, One thing we didn't touch on was that, which is appearing across lots of sectors, is obviously inflation and cost inflation. How does that materialise in in, in terms of a bank's P&L? Yeah, if you think about inflation in the UK, this year is expected to be somewhere around 8.5%. Next year, it's likely to be around something like 5%. And wage growth is running about 6% in the UK. That's on an included bonus measure. And actually, for the financial services, the number's running much higher. It's more like 11%. And then if you think about how a bank's cost line is made up, about 50% of all costs relate to uh, wages and salaries. And actually, banks locked in wage increases for 2022 at the beginning of this year at about 4%. And they've subsequently had to announce some kind of top-ups to try and keep that number with pace with the squeeze that um, their employees are feeling. We do think, though, however, the consensus estimates for cost growth do not reflect the commercial realities that we're seeing. And actually, the 1% decline that consensus has baked in for 2023 for costs for the sector as a whole looks a bit too optimistic in our view. If you think about average cost growth over the last year, 10 years for banks, it's been about 3%. And that's been in a less inflationary environment where we have than we have today. And actually financial services pay has typically only increased 4% per annum on average over that period. Okay. Okay, so the outlook's slightly bleak on bleak on the cost front. Um, looking at the rates then and thinking about the mortgage environment. Um, can you talk around how much is split, how much is variable, when the consumer is going to feel the pressure, and also potentially how that timing of that feeding into the bank's net interest margin? Yeah, and every market around the world has a different mortgage market, and their products are slightly different. In the UK, we typically think about the stock of UK mortgages being about 20% variable product and about 80% fixed, and there's a mixture generally of between two-year and five-year products. The split, however, of the flow of mortgages over the last 10 years has varied over time. And actually, historically, banks have written more variable rate and more two-year product than sits on their books today. If you think about the UK consumer already feeling a bit squeezed due to higher energy and food costs, higher mortgage costs are going to add to that pain, we think. And actually, timing is important here. And although variable rate mortgage products will reprice to a higher base rate. For those on fixed rate products, that's going to take some time to bear out. In our recent note, what we really wanted to try and do is understand when that mortgage roll-off profile in the UK will take place to ascertain at what point the consumer really starts to feel the squeeze of higher rates from mortgages. And what we did, we looked at the product flows in the last 10 years and modelled how these products will roll off going forward. And actually, our conclusion was it will take about seven quarters for the majority, and that's about 50%, of mortgage borrowers to feel the impact of higher Bank of England base rate um, that is over 1%. Okay. 
So we talked about, you touched on the, the pressure the consumer's feeling from higher fuel, higher food, cost of living squeeze that's going on. Thinking and extending it to future generations. If I was, if I was a generation younger and trying to get on the housing market now with mortgage rates going up, what, how, what's the impact for me? Do, I have, do we have a whole generation who won't get onto the mortgage ladder? Yeah, well, you better hope that you have rich payment parents who can help you um, fund that house because it's quite difficult at the moment for for youngsters to get onto that property ladder. Now, inter interestingly, mortgage payments relative to disposable incomes are in line with historical averages. So once you've got your mortgage, mortgage customers are not that stretched uh, and they're less stretched than you'd imagine. Although it's likely that situation is going to change over the next 18 months with higher fuel and food costs. <clears throat> However, for the first time buyer, it's been it's more difficult than ever to get on that property ladder. Um, and that's an area that we're keeping a close eye on. Because if you think about first time um, mortgages making up about 20% of mortgage volumes, this is the tranche that we think will come under pressure uh, in the near term. And that's going to impact bank volumes. For, okay, for experienced bank investors, this is going to be a simplistic question, but I'd like to take the opportunity to ask a, a couple of simplified ones for myself and for, for other readers on, on the journalist front. Um, you've talked a lot about term deposit beaters, and you've talked about that in context of rising rates and the impact on banks. Could you, could you just explain what this term means and quantify where we are? Sure. So deposit beaters basically means how much base rate rises are passed on to bank deposit holders and how much is kept by the banks themselves. So historically, by the end of a rate rise cycle, we expect beaters to go to 90% for corporate deposits and 70% for retail deposit holders. So, for example, 70% of the, of the base rate rise gets passed on to a retail deposit holder. In this cycle, deposit beaters have been much lower so far, with only about 20% of rate rises being passed on to deposit holders so far. Although we do expect that will meaningfully increase from here. So now I'll do that. So, okay, gotcha. So the banks are retaining a disproportionate amount of rate rises themselves at the moment. At the moment, that's true, yes. Gotcha, okay. And then um, if I think about results days, and we're always talking about discussions around mortgage spreads, just give me a quick summary on those. Sure, so another technical term here, but mortgage spreads are the measure of the difference between the rate that a bank writes a mortgage at and the prevailing swap rate at the time that the mortgage is written. Now, swap rates are important because banks in the UK typically run a structural hedge to reduce their interest rate risk. Now, mortgage spreads have been very low in recent quarters due to the speed at which swap rates have been increasing, and mortgage pricing has not been able to kind of keep pace with those rate rises. However, if we think about swap rates now maybe starting to stabilise, we do expect that swap rates will, that spreads will start to increase from here as they catch up with the swap rates. In fact, actually, we've seen that happening when we look at our latest data and our latest scorecard. Actually, we think that the importance of mortgage spreads is, is also a little bit overdone, and we prefer to focus on the customer spread, and that measures the difference between mortgage rates and deposit rates. And because of the low deposit beaters we discussed previously, that's looking much more healthy at the moment. Okay. Well, look, just standing back, look, you're not out, outright bearish or cautious, you're deflecting the growing risk. Um, and I fully appreciate that and the balance you are playing against valuations. What's your subsects of you? Um, which sectors do you think will perform better and worse, you know, if our central case of a mild recession plays out? 
Sure. And actually, I think it's worth saying here, re-highlighting that we're assuming not a large house price correction with what I'm about to say. Um, but we actually prefer the banks uh, at the moment they have got exposure to buy to let lending. Our fundamental view going into a recessionary environment is that if people can't afford to buy, and we've talked about affordability, then they choose to rent. And actually, moreover, in times of stress, buy to let asset quality holds up better than other types of mortgage lending. And that's for a couple of reasons. So firstly, an interest coverage ratio for a professional buy to let lender is typically around two times. Or you can put that another way, landlords can afford for half their tenants not to pay their rent and they still can afford to make their mortgage payments to the bank. Secondly, when the housing market softens, rental yields tend to go up and that further supports landlords' ability to pay those mortgages. And thirdly, in the event of a landlord not being able to afford to pay their mortgage, there's a slight nuance with buy-to-let lending. And that's the ability for the bank to step in as a receiver of rent. Now, what this means is rather than in a normal mortgage situation, the bank foreclosing and having to sell that property and normally making a loss on it because you're selling at a time normally when house prices are going down. In this instance, the landlord drops out the picture and the bank steps in, becomes the receiver of rent and starts collecting the rentals off that property themselves. In effect, if a lot of landlords stop paying all at once, they run a, run a rental portfolio, which means they limit their losses. Great, thank you very much for your time, Benjamin. Really enjoyed hearing your thoughts and you being able to simplify some of these complex issues uh, as we look into two, the rest of this year into 2023. Really appreciate your time, thanks. Thank you for having me. What else lies ahead in today's ever-evolving markets and industries? We will be keeping track right here on Industries in Motion. Make sure you subscribe to Industries in Motion wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening to today's episode. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.